0: his stepson, uh, Roger Angel, who also had later been at the New Yorker, was on the staff of Holiday, And I interviewed Roger, who is now well in his 90s. And he said, I think that my stepfather was doing this as a kind of a favor to me since I was on the staff. Well, it turned out to be one of the great magazine articles of all time.
1: Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off-topic. Today's episode looks at a very specific era in the history of travel in America, an era that's evoked by this song.
0: See the USA in your Chevrolet, America's asking you to call, drive
1: your Chevrolet through the USA. That's singer and actress Dinah Shore singing an ad for Chevy Cars on her TV show in 1952. And it's that post-war era of travel that's the focus of today's episode. Specifically, I'll be talking about Holiday Magazine, which is one of the most influential travel magazines ever and featured writing by the likes of Jack Kerouac and Ernest Hemingway and Joan Didion. In fact, John Steinbeck's classic travel book Travels with Charlie traces its origin to a holiday magazine article. And the story behind the movie Jaws traces its way back to a holiday article as well. This magazine thrived in the era of American culture that's depicted on the TV show Mad Men. That is, this was the 1950s and 1960s, a time when middle-class Americans were traveling in unprecedented numbers and the economy was booming. Joining me in taking a look at this era of travel history is Pamela Fiore, who worked as an editor for Holiday Magazine back in the day, and is the author of the book Holiday, the best travel magazine that ever was. Together we talk about why Holiday Magazine was important and how it influenced an entire generation of travel media. We talk about the beginning of travel as a mass consumer act in America and how the advertisements were as distinctive as the articles in Holiday Magazine. We talk about what made the magazine unique and how it influenced other iconic magazines, magazines like Sports Illustrated. We start by talking about how and why Holiday Magazine got its start in the years after World War II. Let's listen in. You came on board in the late 60s, and I, and I want to get back to the specifics of what it was, what the magazine was like then. But let's go all the way to the beginning of the magazine because it feels like a fairly pioneering magazine that coincided with post-war prosperity. Uh, it started in 1946, which is right after World War II. If I'm not mistaken, it was um, th- like the parent company also made the Saturday Evening Post and Ladies Home Journal. Um, yes. And so what were the circumstances of its founding?
0: Uh, Somebody had the bright idea, uh, and the brave idea, of uh, starting a magazine that was very different from Saturday Evening Post and Ladies Home Journal, uh, Curtis Publishing. Uh, They took the risk that all of these millions of people coming back from the war, mostly men, but uh, some women too, were ready for a new life and uh, were looking for stability in the one sense, and adventure in the other, and that these were going to be people who, now that they had their new homes, their new cars, uh, were on the uh, GI Bill, uh, finishing their education in some cases, uh, were going to be ready to see what was out there, mostly in America, uh, to travel their country uh, in cars, Uh, on buses, uh, on trains, and uh, the more exotic things came a little bit later in the 1950s. So it was a pretty domestic travel-oriented magazine, I would say.
1: And if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't just motivated by a desire to tell stories about travel, but there was a lot of market research that went into this, that basically people realized that Americans who were inclined to travel might be inclined to spend more money on what was being advertised, is that right?
0: Yes, um and it was a narrow focused magazine in the sense it was for people who were interested in travel and whether they traveled or not or or were just armchair travelers. <clears throat> is uh hard to know. I would say it was probably more armchair travelers at the at that point who were just curious about about the world and uh so it wasn't very service oriented as later travel magazines were. It was really about the, the romance of travel, I would say.
1: And you sort of pinpoint the heyday of holiday magazine as the 1950s. Um, did it, was the 1950s, was it an armchair travel magazine? Was a lot of literary writing about travel, uh, as opposed to service or was it a sort of a blend of both?
0: There was very little service in the magazine. Uh, and the fact that so many of the writers and photographers and artists were either big names or on their way to becoming big names had a lot to do with the editor at the time, Ted Patrick, and uh, his art director, Frank Zachary, who later went on to become the editor of Town & Country. Uh, so the two of them together, were they had a meeting of minds. They were very much in sync with the kinds of talent that they wanted. And uh, and also, that talent happened to be people uh, who many of them had, had been in the war themselves or had covered the war, and now they, too, were ready for a whole new experience and uh, were tired of of covering uh, battles and uh, and the despair of uh, uh, of wartime.
1: Now, would you say that the the journalism was was good, or was it famous writers getting a paycheck to go on vacation?
0: I'd say it was really good. <clears throat> it became that what you're saying later on, when the idea of getting a free trip was very appealing. Uh, That certainly was my experience when I became editor of Travel and Leisure, which is one of the reasons why we stopped using a lot of um, so-called name writers who were just looking for uh, a a trip that would be paid for in every way. These, These were people who were genuinely interested in the subjects, and they took these subjects very
1: seriously. What are some of the more famous uh, articles to come out of Holiday Magazine over the years? I think I heard that Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck started out as a holiday feature, and some of Joan Didion's writing started as holiday features. What would you characterize as the the literary uh, triumphs?
0: Joan Didion only really wrote one piece for the magazine, and that was in an issue called California Without Clichés in the 1960s, and she wrote about (laughs) the city – in uh, California, where she grew up, which was Sacramento. Uh, but there were many others in the beginning of the magazine, like e. B. White, who is usually associated with The New Yorker. But Ted Patrick uh, got in touch with him. Uh, he was e b. White was living in Maine at the time. And he said, "I'd like you to come to New York uh, in July." and spend some time uh, doing a kind of sentimental journey through the city and uh, reporting on that. So E.B. White wasn't that keen to do it, but he finally said yes. And when he did, he he not only came in July, but he came during a heat wave. So, So... uh, he was stuck in a small hotel uh, with no air conditioning, and so he got out a lot and walked the streets of New York and wrote what is today one of the great essays called Here is New York, and it is still available in book form.
1: Okay, so it, was it expanded into a book then?
0: No, it was a, the same length as huh. it was. Uh, it, it ran many thousands of words, maybe seven or 8,000 words. And uh, his stepson, uh, Roger Angel, who also had later been at the New Yorker, was on the staff of Holiday. And I interviewed Roger, who is now well in his 90s. And he said, I think that my stepfather was doing this as a kind of a favor to me uh, since I was on the staff. Well, it turned out to be one of the great uh, magazine articles of all time.
1: You talk about Ted Patrick being an influential editor there. What made him good? Was it his ability to attract name writers, or were there other factors that that made the magazine thrive under his leadership?
0: He had a vision that was uh, very far-reaching. He didn't believe, first of all, that Holiday should be merely a travel magazine. He thought it should also be about related subjects, the performing arts, Uh, culture, um, uh, music, uh, interviews with interesting people. But he also came from an advertising background. Uh, So I think he had a marketing mind, and he thought that to focus only on America was uh, not at all the way to go. And that by the time the 1950s came along, people... Began, began to be more interested and curious about Europe and about other places around the world. So um, he uh, took the magazine where it really should have been all the time. The first editor was a nice enough man, but he, he, he didn't have the kind of uh, vision that Patrick had, helped by, greatly by Frank
1: Zachary. Was there ever any concern that the, the editorial content was skewing towards advertising? I mean, that's sort of a cliche in the, in the modern era that uh, travel writing is sometimes compromised by the fact that it's writing about destinations that are being advertised. Was that a problem with Holiday Ma- Magazine?
0: Never. Hmm. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Uh, there was a very clear division between church and state. And that's the way it always was with Holiday and with most of the magazines uh, that were around in the 50s and 60s and 70s. That started to change in the 80s and 90s. <clears throat> and um, believe me, I know because I lived through a lot of it, where there was a quid pro quo. Uh, that was not at all uh, the environment uh, and uh, the attitude, there was a very clear division.
1: What made Holiday successful during its heyday?
0: Because the the articles and the illustrations and the, and the photographs were so enticing, uh, and new to this audience that uh, there was a, a kind of a thrill associated with it. I mean, everything seems so new and so possible and remember this was before the jet age the jet age didn't really start until the late 1950s so the people who were traveling to europe were either traveling on prop planes or taking uh transatlantic voyages on on uh, on large ships and staying for a while because they had the available time and the money to do this. Uh, It wasn't until the early 1970s, with the advent of the jumbo jet, that mass travel really began.
1: Did Holiday as a magazine create some of the travel writing tropes we still see today? Or was it fairly unique to that era where people were traveling on ships? Uh,
0: it, It was of its time, for sure. I mean, there was no talk about space age, this, or <clears throat> supersonic, that uh, it was very much about what those places were like at that time. And it wasn't all rosy. I mean, they took on subjects that were very tough, uh, Africa, for example, and not only just Africa, the continent, but some of the difficulties of subjects like apartheid in South Africa uh, and uh you know, their 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 eyes were wide open. You know, they weren't trying to make everything look like it was a um, a happy time and that there were there was no strife and uh, no
1: difficulties. And would,
0: that's what made it interesting.
1: Would you say that those articles have aged well, or are there certain generalizations about places like Africa that might seem a little cringeworthy now?
0: Uh, actually. I think they were pretty in depth although of course everything uh changed so if there was a, a an an article about Japan it was going to be Japan just after just after the war and if it was about Mexico it was about a New Mexico that had very little infrastructure and they weren't talking about great big Uh, booming hotels uh, you know it was definitely of its time but that's also what makes it today to look at this charming because it was uh, uh, of the moment
1: who was the audience was it um, uh, just a a middle-class aspirational travel group was it more of a a well-heeled group who could afford to travel a lot was there a sense for who this magazine was for
0: In the beginning, it was for people uh, who were affluent. Uh, As time went on and the magazine started to make a name for itself and people knew more about it, then it started to attract the middle class. Uh, But again, the people who traveled were the people with money
1: and time. And how did it change, uh, you know, by the time that you were on the magazine staff, we were beginning to enter the jumbo jet age, uh, more and more people were traveling, and as you say in your book, uh, Holiday Magazine was not as financially successful as it had been before, so how did it change and why did it change around that era?
0: Well, for one thing, it was a very turbulent era, not only for America and for uh, uh the uh, New York City, but also for the advertising business, for the publishing business. Curtis Publishing, like uh, Time and Life and Collier's and other magazines and companies that own those magazines, were struggling because there was this little device called television, and uh, television people laughed at it in the beginning Nobody thought it was going anywhere, and suddenly it became the main medium. So that's what uh, magazines were up against, uh, plus the high cost of doing business, uh, which uh, was something that could not could not be uh, ignored. Uh, also, when you think about the 1960s, particularly the late 1960s. There was a lot going on in this country. Uh, we were dealing with protests against Vietnam, uh, women's liberation, at least the beginnings of it, the awareness of inequality uh, in the country, and a lot of, a lot of pushback culturally. Uh, and in many cases, it, it really affected how people looked at the world uh and uh, i mean it was fascinating and it was terrifying at the same time
1: did did holiday serve to inform people about the rest of the world or was it mostly just informing them about possible vacations
0: no it was very much about what was what the rest of the world was like in the 1960s in fact this was after ted patrick uh the the when he died in the early 1960s, there was a whole new group of people who came in and took over, and they were more, I would say, journalistic in the sense that they were looking to cover hard subjects. So there was an issue uh, on Germany and another one on Russia. Uh, and um, these and, and another on Japan. and these were issues that really delved very deeply into what was going on in those cultures at that time.
1: I guess one reason I was curious about that, um, were things like international events, like the Cold War and the Vietnam War, was there an awareness of things like the Vietnam War in the pages of Holiday, or did it tend to sidestep um, news headlines for more general international coverage?
0: That's when things began to get very complicated, because the magazine up to that point had not been dealing with any of those issues and uh, and, and did, in fact, sidestep a lot of them because they felt that their readers were getting that kind of information elsewhere. Uh, and yet there was this attempt, sometimes in vain, to try to be hip, to try to be uh, au courant. And some of those some of those efforts just didn't work. Um, there was a, an issue that I vividly remember, which was about youth, uh, American youth in Europe, and about all of these young kids who were uh, traveling, hitchhiking, staying in hostels, uh, and traveling by your rail pass and, and doing everything that they could in a sort of a dirt-cheap way. Um, and it was... Kind of painful to watch. I remember as this issue was unfolding, it was, uh, I thought, an embarrassment that it just didn't capture. It was like a bunch of old guys trying to tell the rest of the world what these kids were thinking instead of going to the kids themselves.
1: Was there a sense with – could there have been a class thing there where like one generation were Ivy Leaguers going to Europe as sort of part of their rite of initiation, whereas travel was becoming more of a a middle class uh, shoestring operation?
0: Oh, of course. Absolutely. Remember, at that time, most of the readers were white. Uh, Most of the readers were male. And most of them came from well-heeled families. So there was that, uh, and you know, we combined that with all of the the struggles that were going on in the country, uh, and then to have that played out on the pages of what was supposed to be a beautiful travel magazine was not easy. I mean, every once in a while they would do an interview uh, with somebody like uh, I don't know Lenny Bruce uh, uh, and others, but it never came off quite right. Uh, And this was the case with a lot of magazines uh, that were trying to find their way in the 1960s and keep their audience and at the same time go for a new one.
1: Could there be sort of a madman factor here that like the hip, fashionable, outward-looking magazine that Ted Patrick pioneered in the 50s by the late 1960s it just sort of had an older staff and and less of a sense for what was happening in the world?
0: Yeah, but I don't know that I would call it Mad Men because it wasn't that uh, ambitious, sort of uh, ruthlessly ambitious. It was uh, a lot gentler. But still in all, there were younger people who were coming onto the staff with other ideas and and, uh, in a couple of cases there were some... Uh, younger staff members who just thought whatever Holiday was doing was sort of old-fashioned and uh, wished the magazine should be hipper and uh, be aware of what was going on, let's say, on the West Coast with uh, some of the uh, sort of far-reaching uh, um, organizations and Uh, resorts like Est, for example. I remember we sent one editor out to Esalen. And he came back and he uh, was in his thrall and completely changed. And not only was he before the the all-time preppy, very Princetonian, uh, wearing his blazer and his bow tie, but he came back and he practically turned into a hippie. And he was telling everybody in his uh, inimitable way to just go F themselves, <laughs> <laughs> because that's what he learned at Eslin that you should just say what you think and do what you do. And of course, coming back to a, a fairly uh, proper environment in a, on a New York, magazine staff it did, <laughs> did not go over well. It's funny uh, But there was a there was a fair amount of that.
1: Well I must have Mad Men on the brain, but that's actually a scene in Mad Men where Don Draper goes to Big Sur and has an epiphany. Um I remember. I it, remember very well. Yeah. Um so where were you in all this? Were you one of the younger people who sort of thought it should have a more you know a more in tune and hip attitude or were you just happy to have a job there?
0: Oh, no. I was very committed to the magazine, and I knew exactly what was going on because I myself was going through it, which didn't mean that I didn't have my own struggles with that because I saw families falling apart. I saw um, the rise of Playboy magazine, uh, the whole sexual revolution, and uh, I had very mixed feelings about all of it. I I didn't want things to stay the same. But I didn't want them to change radically either. I thought that would have been a terrible mistake for the magazine.
1: So, is it fair to say that Holiday was sort of a pre-sex revolution, pre hippie era magazine that didn't quite make the transition?
0: Well, I think it tried, but uh, and it tried a lot of things that didn't quite work, which was probably uh, had something to do with its with its undoing. Uh, in the end because it just couldn't keep up with what was going on. And apart from that, you had all of these middle-class travelers who were going to Europe and, and flying on jumbo jets and buying things like crazy when they were there and uh, sending everything home. And they had a whole different way of looking at the world. It was about where they could eat and what they could buy and where they could shop. And, uh, and that's when the advent of service magazines, travel service magazines, came about.
1: What are some examples of those travel service magazines that, that thrived? Well,
0: I was I was I was on the staff of one of them, Travel and Leisure. When Travel and Leisure began in 1971, it was a free magazine that went out to all American Express card members, and uh, I was a, an editor on the staff and was working for the man who at that time had been the final uh, great editor of, uh, of holiday Caskey Sinet. And what he wanted to do with travel and leisure was to replicate holiday. Uh, And it wasn't working because that's not what that audience was interested in. He retired. I became editor in 1975 and my idea although I would have loved for it to have been the way Holiday was, was to turn Travel and Leisure into a service magazine for travelers. And that's what its success was owed to. We did that knowing that this is what this audience wanted.
1: So in a way, the the, the rise of service... Writing in the travel milieu, and I, I, you know, this coincides with the rise of Lonely Planet and other independent guidebooks, is really of the course. middle middle classness of travel itself. It feels like when when middle class people were armchair travelers, there was maybe more of an appetite for John Steinbeck writing a literary essay, whereas when mi- middle class people were out there in large numbers, they wanted practical information. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely,
0: absolutely, and. uh And also, you couldn't turn to a John Steinbeck and say, uh, John, could you please uh, write about this hotel and what the rooms were like and also give us all of the information about how much it would cost to have a room there uh, for the night. I mean, that's not what they did. That's not what they wanted to do. So we had to turn to a different kind of writer who was uh, up for that. And, And I would say that pretty much changed the kind of writing that appeared. It was more reportage. And, it, 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 and those pieces went to people who were very energetic and were willing to uh, go to a city or go to a resort and find out everything they could about it and uh, put that information on the pages.
1: It sounds like by the, by the mid-'70s, you were at Travel and Leisure. What What happened to Holiday? Where did it go?
0: Well, it was bought by uh, in the early 1970s by a group from Indianapolis. And uh, that's when the downfall began because these people hadn't hadn't a clue what the magazine should be. They also bought uh, Saturday Evening Post uh, and wanted some of the staff to go out to Indianapolis, which, of course, was never going to happen. And then uh, they kept, at the holiday, and then it merged in the uh, mid 1970s, somewhere around 1977, with a magazine called uh, Travel, uh, and that was owned by uh, a, a single proprietor, and uh, it, the name was changed to Travel slash Holiday, and uh, you know that was sort of the beginning of the end
1: you You talk about researching this magazine holiday. Was it hard to find back issues? is it is it sort of seen as a as a bygone uh, entity these days?
0: There were no archives. You would think there would be hmm. because Curtis was a huge publishing company. But uh, when I took the assignment on, I thought, well, this is going to be kind of easy because i'll just go to the archives there were no archives so i had to do what i could to gather as many back issues and most of those were through ebay huh. so i to this day in my dining room uh the dining room is no longer a dining room it is a library for old issues of holiday magazine and if you ever want to see them <laughs> I can show you uh, because they were piled up all all over. And I didn't get every one of them either because, remember, this is from 1946 into the early 1970s. Um, And uh, so that was was a chore, but it was a happy chore as far as I was concerned because I don't think I could have accumulated the knowledge that I did of those years when I couldn't possibly have uh, been there. To know what what kinds of uh, articles uh, and what the kind of thinking there was behind the the pieces that appeared, so uh, I consider myself fortunate because it was a great education for me and uh, really made me appreciate what this magazine had been in the in the fifties and early sixties.
1: Does this mean that your table is the archive now? <laughs>
0: Pretty much. Um, I mean, I I see this happening a lot, by the way, that there are magazines even today that have been around for a long time where the publishing companies do not keep keep the issues. Hmm. And uh, it's sad because it's a signal that there's not going to be anything left for historians to go back to. And uh, and and do a reliable history of uh, of a magazine. Let's say a Harper's Bazaar or or um, uh, even Town and Country, which is where I was. You know, they they house them. They take the old issues and they house them in warehouses. But after a while, they become superfluous, and they people get rid of them.
1: It's interesting that that shift in the idea of what information is uh, and so these old paper uh, relics are now seen as as like you say superfluous um, I'm curious after all these years uh, what is the legacy of holiday magazine?
0: Great writing and great photography uh, about places and uh, and it was about a very high standard. Of journalism, there wasn't a caption uh, or a sidebar that wasn't scrupulously fact-checked, uh, and uh, you know the the magazine was upheld to that. Plus, the wonderful editing by some really professional copy editors who had been there for a long time, and they. Uh, new turns of phrases and they, uh, and they worked with style books and uh, you know, they wouldn't settle for uh, anything less than what was excellent. And you know to work under those circumstances, I mean, that was a very high bar and uh, it served me well over my, my career.
1: Is there anything in this day and age that compares to Holiday Magazine or is it just a unique relic to its time?
0: I think it's pretty unique. I think there are other magazines that have tried. I mean when I was at American Express Publishing which published uh, Travel and Leisure, uh, we eventually took over a magazine called Departures. And uh, that was for a very high-flying high-flying traveler. But You know, the pieces are not as long as they used to be. You know, the attitude is the shorter, the better. Uh, There's so much focus on digital. Uh, And even when I look, I looked at a recent issue of travel and leisure the other day, and uh, it just seemed to me to have very little going for it in the the way of uh, photography that would make you want to go somewhere. Hmm. They didn't, you know, they they, they didn't have that kind of canvas that Holiday had, you know, an oversized publication where if you saw a spread on that magazine, you felt like you were in the middle of Montana uh, or on the plains of of Kenya. Uh, You know, these are smaller uh, images, uh, smaller type. Uh, it, it, It just doesn't have the same impact.
1: Do you think this shift to to digital and social media, and when a lot of paper magazines are shuttering, is this sort of a parallel to what happened to Holiday back in the day, or is this a completely different um, sea change?
0: Well, I think overall the, the the signs aren't good, and I mean you're you're doing something yourselves, and you know. You know, you could be doing print, but why aren't you doing print? You're doing something entirely new and because this seems to be a smart way to go. And I think this is what a lot of publishing companies are realizing, for better or worse. I I worry about the magazines that are still in print that I regard highly, uh, The New Yorker being one of them, and of course still... Town and Country, and uh, and others, and um, I, I see the vanishing of the printed word, which makes me very sad. Uh,
1: yeah, no, it, it seems like every year things shift, and even this is sort of a meta con- uh, uh, comment, but uh, but like podcasting is suddenly seen as as a potentially wealthy business. And I've only had a podcast for three years, but suddenly I have ten times as many competitors as I did three years ago because yeah, it's suddenly sure. the hot new medium.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and you know, when I look at Holiday and I look at the book, and uh, I don't, I, I've never weighed it, but I should <laughs> because it's yeah. also pretty heavy. Um, I think. Look at all of those thousands and thousands of words and paragraphs and images and uh, uh, illustrations that uh, will, will never be seen again. Uh, there's a magazine out that's called Magmen. Uh, not a magazine, it's a book, uh, M-A-G-M-A-N. It's about the making of New York Magazine and the work of uh, mostly Milton Glaser, and those who were involved in the early days of New York Magazine. And, uh, I mean, what they did was really extraordinary uh, as a group of people trying to communicate the idea of what the city of New York was. Uh, And, of course, that's all entirely different now. Uh, But to read it and to think of those days and, you know, the experiment with writers like Tom Wolfe, uh, having them cover subjects that you would never dream possible. Now, uh, you know, there's nothing that's shocking anymore.
1: This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to Pamela Fiore's book about Holiday magazine, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. Deviate is produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Jan Futterman does the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.